Micah Miller trying to spring a pass ahead. Nobody in front of Jack Paling. Moves on with a blast and scores! Jack Paling with the We aren't giving up on chances, and we just got to bottom line execute. Waits, waits, passes in front. Great save, Pelosi, as she robs a gopher in front of her. And that was number eight, Kippen Keller, on the great A opportunity. For me as a coach, that's the kind of D you're always looking for because uh, they don't grow on trees for sure, and, and he's done a really good job being a captain of a really young team this year. It's a really cool thing to see for them to uh, really appreciate what I've done on and off the ice. To the far half wall, Jack Paling trying to play it into the corner. Now Paling turns, squares his body to the slot, sends it up high toward Jack. Shaw makes his play through and they score! Right along the blue line, Nick Paling was in front of the net, and St. Welcome back to the Dan Huskies Warming House podcast, fans. It is episode number 53 here on the show on this Sunday, the middle of March, March 14th here. Uh, lots to touch around regarding the college hockey world. A little bit of women's hockey controversy, a little bit of men's hockey controversy as well last night, uh, as well as our Huskies are back in action in the NCHC Frozen Faceoff. We'll touch on some NHL news, especially news concerning uh, our home state, Minnesota Wild hockey team, and uh, a young rookie who continues to make waves in the NHL. And we'll get started with it all. I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host and Nick Maxson here to bring you the Huskies Warming House podcast and Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View News and Notes. Center Ice View provides you with the best coverage of St. Cloud State Huskies hockey from game notes, recaps, photos, and more. Go to centericeview.com. HC Frozen Faceoff is underway, and the quarterfinal games only had one upset to mention. Of on Friday, North Dakota did handily beat the University of Miami Redhawks 62, while St. Cloud State ran into a very hot goaltender in Matt Vernon and did come over with a two to one victory over the Tigers. 78 shots went towards the goaltender, and only two, again, as you mentioned, went past him. Very, very good performance there by Matt Vernon. On Saturday, Denver and Omaha played run and gun, while number five actually took home the victory over number four uh, seeded uh, Nebraska Omaha. Western Michigan did tie their game late against the Bulldogs to send it to OT, but was the victim of looks like to be a missed call for an illegal faceoff procedure that led to a game-winning blast from the University of Minnesota Bulldogs. Miami, Colorado College, and Western Michigan now all their, saw their seasons end last weekend. Well, North Dakota and Denver will square off on Monday, as do St. Cloud State and UMD. The winner of each game will play in the championship game on Tuesday night, while Monday's game between St. Cloud and Duluth will be the seventh matchup between the two clubs so far this season. Speaking of tournament time, Nick, the final field of eight teams in the NCAA Division I women's hockey tournament is set for this week, with one notable omission for those games. We'll touch on that in just a second. In the WCHA, Wisconsin, Minnesota, Duluth, and Ohio State were the three teams that snuck into the tournament. While in the East, Northeastern, Colgate, and Providence were added, and Robert Morris rounded out the field of eight teams. However, the omission of note was one WCHA team, the Minnesota Golden Gophers. Uh, it has caused quite a stir in the hockey world as the Gophers were tied with Ohio State and Duluth for wins during the season. And questions about the makeup of the selection committee, which largely included members from the East, have further complicated matters. Regardless, the first round begins on Monday, March 15th, with the semifinals on March 18th and the national championship game to be played on March 20th in Erie, Pennsylvania. 
It is the first time since 2007 that the Gopher women's team has missed the tournament. Let's go to the NHL and in the state of hockey, the Wilder still back to their winning ways, picking up three wins in three games this past week against Las Vegas, as well as Arizona. Homestead Club pitched two shutouts and outscored their opponents 10 to 3 during the week as freshman Kirill Kaprizov, yes, freshman, no, he's a rookie, paced all <laughs> skaters in points once again, including the first ever hat trick of his professional career in Friday's 4 to nothing win over the Coyotes. Rookie Netmunder Kapokakan entered his first career shutout in a 2 nothing victory against the Golden Knights. And now Minnesota is back in action this afternoon on Sunday against the Coyotes again in the second half of that back to back. Also, see them Tuesday, this time at home, and Minnesota will finish up. Off a pair of games Thursday and Saturday in Colorado. The White will enter Sunday in second place in the Honda West Division, separated by only four points from the Vegas Golden Knights. Should be an interesting week around the National Hockey League and should be an interesting year as we look forward. Uh, starting amidst next season, the NHL will have a new home on televisions across the United States. As NBC Sports nears the end of its 10-year deal with NHL Hockey and the National Hockey League, ESPN signed a seven-year deal with the NHL worth over $2.8 million. ESPN will owe the NHL an annual fee of over $400 million per season. Nick, we're going to have to get them paying us on the broadcast over here. But that does give ESPN exclusive rights to the broadcast for four Stanley Cup finals on ABC between the years of 2022 and 2028 along with the ability to simulcast the ESPN Plus streaming service and other ESPN properties to NHL games. It will guarantee 25 regular season games nationally, exclusively on either ABC or ESPN, as well as 75 regular season contests streamed exclusively on either ESPN Plus or Hulu, as well as broadcasts of, of half of those Stanley Cup final playoffs on either ABC or ESPN for every season. This also includes coverage rights for the all-star festivities, opening night, and other special events. And the agreement also affects the league's out-of-market streaming capabilities in the U.S. The package typically shown on NHL.TV featuring over 1,000 games will now be accessible only with an ESPN Plus subscription. The NHL is still seeking a second U.S. broadcast partner for the other three Stanley Cup finals from 2022 to 2028 and an additional streaming rights with NBC still in the mix. ESPN hasn't aired NHL games since before the 2004 lockout, but it was involved in broadcasting the 2016 World Cup of Hockey. Let's take a look at some other NHL news. Uh, changes have been proposed to the uh, draft lottery system from the league. Uh, the lottery, which is designed to give higher picks in the draft to teams who do poorly in the regular season to maintain its parity, has been subject to scrutiny after teams have slipped from the top spot or for teams repeatedly in the bottom of the standings. Three notable changes have been highlighted. The first proposal is that teams are limited to no more than two lottery wins in a five-year period. The second in is that teams are allowed to only jump 10 spots with a lottery win and not go to the top pick. These changes are subject to approval by the NHL's board Board of Governors, and only the third possible change wouldn't take effect before the 2002-22 NHL draft. And the third, I should say, is a reduction in the number of picks decided by lottery from three to two. Additionally, previous lottery victories reportedly won't count towards a team's total should the changes be approved. The last time that was revised was revised was in 2016. Used to only be where the top pick actually was uh, uh, subject to that lottery. But in our second to last topic, a player in the National Hockey League earned a payday, and women's professional hockey is back in business. The National Women's Hockey League has decided to resume its postseason after suspending its play on February 3rd due to COVID concerns. Four teams will compete in the semifinals on March 26th, with the winners meeting in the single elimination Isabel Cup final the next night. 
The top-seeded Toronto Six will face the fourth-ranked Boston Pride, and the number two hometown Minnesota Whitecaps will clash with the third-seeded Connecticut Whale. All games will take place at the Boston Bruins training facility. Out West, St. Louis goaltender Jordan Bennington has punched, get it, his ticket to a six-year $36 million extension starting next season. While Bennington's numbers have steadily declined since his Stanley Cup winning performance in 2019, Blues Brass still felt it felt fit to stick with their starter, who now leaves them with $16 million in cap space after this season. Bennington was a third-round pick in 2011. Now we're going to talk about some injury news around the National Hockey League. Nashville um, has been hit pretty hard by this and are going to be yet down another body with defenseman Roman Yossi out week to week with an upper body injury. Vancouver star center Elias Pedersen is also out for a week with an upper body ailment. Arizona goaltender Darcy Kemper is on the same timeline with a lower body um, injury as we know it. Vegas rounds out the West with Alex Petrangelo missing significant time after blocking a shot and it's likely out long term. Out East, Buffalo Sabres star Jack Eichel is missing a handful of games while Ralph Kruger did mention in a press conference just yesterday that likely that timeline might extend and they're less likely that he will be turning uh, sooner than later. Uh, Eichel uh, is actually having a neck injury with that, actually. Islanders forward Anders Lee is out indefinitely after crawling off the ice in pain last week. And Buffalo, Boston's Brandon Carlo is out long term after being hit by Washington's Tom Wilson that led to a seven game suspension by the NHL player safety. Finally, Nashville's Dante Fabro suspended two games for elbowing Brock McGinn in Carolina and Chicago superstar Patrick Kane has now played in his 1000th National Hockey League game in Dallas. Last week, Kane went pointless as the Stars trounced the Blackhawks 6-1 in the contest. Yeah, lots of news to kind of recap here around the National Hockey League uh, and college hockey as well. We're going to touch uh, quite a bit on some college hockey stuff, mainly uh, with our St. Cloud State Huskies and pretty much kind of the frozen faceoff in general. Uh, I know I probably got to take in a little more of yesterday's game against Western Michigan and Duluth than you, Nick, but it was uh, it, it was just one of those uh, one of those tournaments that uh, for most of the games going the way we expected to the team we expected. Uh, games were a lot tighter maybe than I think a lot of people would have expected besides that North Dakota and Miami game. Uh, but as I mentioned, I'm Noah Grant, joined alongside my co-host, Nick Maxson. Nick, it is Sunday. It is, uh, it's getting a little bit sunny here. I think it was, it was over 50 degrees here in North Dakota. Pretty excited about that. Although that does mean sometimes that hockey season is coming to an end, uh, at least in the college hockey world, uh, NHL pushing its way through into June. I don't really know what I'm trying to say here. So we're going to move right into uh, why, why not? Well, let's talk about our men's hockey team here. Uh, we're also going to talk about the go for women's hockey, as well as the Minnesota wild, as we mentioned, but starting with men's hockey uh, trivia, we might as well start with trivia because we always do kind of a, kind of set the tone here for men's hockey. Uh, the question did read and somehow uh, I guess I predicted the future here because the reseed had Western Michigan won yesterday would have meant, that uh, Western Michigan would have actually had North Dakota and our team would have had Denver. But St. Cloud State men's hockey does get the winner of Duluth in Western Michigan uh, today, which uh, or on Monday, which was Duluth. Uh, since St. Cloud State didn't play Western Michigan until 2011, which date was the first time Duluth and St. Cloud met in the WCHA Final Five in the Division One era? And what was the score? Nick, uh, do you happen to know um, what year they first met in the final five, not the playoffs, the final five. 93. 
No, it, you're actually probably closer as far as the uh, the actual playoffs. I think the first time they played in the playoffs against each other was probably about 95. But win number 10 for Tanner Heath on the board, uh, he answered correctly that the teams first met in the WCHA Final Five on March 19th of 1998, where Matt Noga's team leading 37 points propelled the Huskies to a 4-3 overtime victory in Milwaukee. St. Cloud State won the Final Five once in 2001 and has appeared in four championship games. Uh, obviously not going to appear in any more as they're not in the old WCHA anymore. But that's because they're in the new NCHC and the new NCHC playoff format uh, this week at Ralph Finkelstead Arena for the Frozen Faceoff. Uh, let's kind of break it down a little bit here. Uh, we're going to go backwards on the Friday night. Um, the late night game was number one, North Dakota and uh, number eight, Miami. Final score was six to two on that one with North Dakota scoring 14 seconds into that hockey game. Uh, that one was, I would say, pretty cut and dry. <laughs> I mean, North Dakota just came, came out and uh, didn't really give Miami any life. Contrary to our St. Cloud State Huskies, number two against number seven playing Colorado College. Shots finished 44 to seven in favor of St. Cloud State in the two to one win. 78 shot attempts for the Huskies. Uh, I believe they said, uh, I thought it was 13 total shot attempts for Colorado College. Uh, the, only, the only time I think I really felt kind of nervous is that shot off the post in the third period for Colorado College. Um, but uh, the big, big talk or two big things, uh, both involve goaltenders. Uh, one is that David Rennick, the go-ahead goal for Colorado College in the midway through the second frame uh, was a dump-in from past center ice. Center almost. ice. Yeah. Um, and uh, it kind of trickled past David Rennick. And then the other uh, person to mention is Matt Vernon, who absolutely stood on his head and almost stole a game for Colorado College. Uh, as usual, St. Cloud State Twitter faithful was up in arms saying this is AIC all over again. Uh, Nick, although the result was not AIC-ish, there are some similarities with that fateful game a couple years ago. Uh, what did Colorado College do so well, similar to uh, the game plan that AIC employed uh, back in 2018-19? Well, first of all, you know, let, let's touch on and give Colorado College a little bit of credit here, um, you know, especially coming into the tournament uh, as being down their entire top line, they dressed five defensemen, uh, you know, essentially only had three centers, at least according to their roster sheet. Uh, you know, when you start a game kind of down like that, uh, you know, Mike Havlin's a heck of a hockey coach. Uh, you have to understand uh, from hockey fans is that there's a specific game plan. That's basically to just take away everything. And there were plenty of times the Huskies were trying to come through the middle of the ice and it was basically a one four. They were standing on the blue line, trying to force the Huskies to dump the puck in and go get it. Unfortunately for the Huskies, what uh, CC liked to do was to grab it, rim it around and just get it out as quickly as they could. They did not want St. Cloud State to establish the four check. We talked about that. No other pregame, but that would be the key to success for this Husky squad and CC was just really apt to try to, you know, just take away the feet and just kind of frustrate St. Cloud. And I think what has to be, you know, can't be understated is it's very easy for a hockey team to sort of get frustrated to sort of then kind of peel back and not play your game. Uh, St. Cloud, you want to get the puck, right? And when you're not getting it, um, then you start to kind of play into them, right? You start trying to carry the puck in against four people standing in the blue, and that creates turnovers. And then all of a sudden, in transition, CC, we've seen it before. That's their game plan. They kind of force you to, to try to change your game plan, and then they sort of take that and then run with it the other way. Let's, let's talk about the David Rennick, uh, this thing. Sure, was he deep in his net? Yes. Does it, you know, here's the thing. It happens 
two goaltenders, right? That, that's going to happen. Uh, Marty Bordeaux has had it happen to him. The thing that I liked was, and I think Brett Larson said it post game was so, uh, Captain Spencer Meyer, who we, we, we had on the show, very, very gracious guy. Before he went up and down the bench and said, Don't worry about it. Like, you know, what's, we're still in this. This was, as you mentioned, a very complete hockey game for St. Cloud. They didn't get frustrated. You can see it maybe bullying up, but they didn't change the way they played. They kept pressing. They kept putting bodies in front of Matt Vernon, who, oh, my gosh. I mean, you talk about a goaltender that had probably one of the best NCHC playoff performances in recent history. That was one hell of a performance there by Matt Vernon. Um, Certainly one that's going to be on the record books for a little bit, just in terms of the numbers and, you know, some tape to be watched there too. Uh, But you got to love St. Cloud State just sticking to it, uh, getting a couple of bounces. They finally get one. Uh, and you saw with Okabe when he finally did get the game tied up, uh, you could just see that, you know, a little bit of relaxation in the Huskies. Uh, but again, you know, they didn't take their emotions. They stayed disciplined. And then Nick Perbick says he's done so well on that second goal, driving on the weak side there, just trying to crash the net. Um, at the end of the day, this was a very good win. Um, I know St. Cloud State wants to look like North Dakota, which is you want to have that decisive 6-2. to two. You want to feel like you're in control of the game. Here's the thing. This is the playoffs. You're not going to have every game like that against a number seven seed. They want to extend their season. They knew they had to win and win out, honestly, to maybe have a shot to get the uh, NCAA tournament. So you got to give credit to CC for having one hell of a game plan. They stuck with it, but the Huskies able to prevail and keep into the style of play that makes them successful. Yeah, I, I think when when you talked about the fact that uh, St. Cloud State, uh, you know, wanting the puck and kind of not getting frustrated during that process, it was a weird game because St. Cloud State, I, I don't know if this is even possible, but they almost had the puck too much, if that makes sense. There's a lot of times where, uh, you know, in games, you know, you might only get one or two of those grade A chances or, you know, plays inside the house, as we like to call it, which is down below the top of the circle and inside the dots. St. Cloud State... I, I would love to see what the scoring chances would have actually officially been listed because they probably had probably 15 or 16 legitimately great a chances. And the only thing that I think Huskies fans were worried about is the fact that uh, Matt Vernon was standing on his head and keeping that a tie hockey game. Um, yeah. As you mentioned with David Rennick, uh, those kind of things happened. Uh, the timing was very, very poor, but go back a couple of years ago, uh, Matt O'Connor for Boston university, uh, that dumping with Providence that totally changed the complexion of that hockey game. Uh, the response from St. Cloud state was exactly what you were looking for after a goal like that. St. Cloud state was all over Colorado college uh, and pressing very diligently. Um, and, and the other thing is Colorado college came in with that game plan. They came in with that game plan. Like you mentioned of the, they were, they were not going to trade chances with the Huskies. They were just going to kind of survive and defend and see if they could ride a hot goaltender and maybe get one bounce that would prove to be uh, the game winner. But as you mentioned, this was a very, very complete effort from the St. Cloud State team. And I think people need to take a look at that and realize that. Yeah, um, part of my French, but the sphincters get to relax a little bit after that win. I know it was uh, as you sit and watch that game and time goes on, as you push deeper into the third period, you don't really know. Uh, if CC is going to get be fortuitous and get the bounce uh, that you hope that they don't get. Uh, but as you mentioned, Nick Perbix with that game winning goal, and it was exactly the type of goal that uh, you expected was going to have to beat Matt Vernon. And the funny thing is Matt Vernon still made a save on the game winning goal. It just happened to be, but you know, behind the goal line, he was that good in that hockey game. Uh, so I think there's a lot to look forward to with this single state group. And the thing that you got to like is, uh, I mean, they just did not take their foot off the gas special gas pedal they were calm they were composed uh and and this is a group that 
I, I think if you want to contrast it to that AIC game, which I, I know we go back to it so much, but it is such a good lesson. And I think such a good comparison point for the Husky teams of recent memory. I, you know, the difference in that was in the AIC game, I, the Huskies didn't generate anything for the first 50 minutes of that hockey game. I would argue on the flip side against Colorado College this past Friday, St. Cloud State controlled the hockey game and had the puck for almost probably 50 minutes of that hockey game. I mean, it was just that good of a performance. Unfortunately, ran into a hot goaltender. And as we know, in tournament time, that can make things a little bit hairy. Uh Moving on to Saturday real quick before we come back to our Huskies here, Nick. Uh, Saturday, uh, a Denver game and an Omaha game that uh, pretty much traded chances very, very readily in the third period was, uh, I believe, 2-1 to one entering that third period. And the final score finished 5-4 to four in favor of the Denver Pioneers, eking out that win against Omaha. They extend their season. They are the only team remaining, uh, actually, in the tournament field that pretty much needs to win the tournament in order to stay alive. Uh, that was a good hockey game. And then the, the late-night game, more controversy, uh, which I – we, we just can't seem to get enough of some nights in college hockey or in hockey in general, but uh, it was Western Michigan tying the game against Duluth uh, in a back and forth game. Once again, with 20 seconds left to send it to overtime. And then the game winner Duluth getting that game winner, a blast from the point, all starting from a faceoff quote unquote win, if you will, but essentially was a puck that was dropped and went off the arm of the Western Michigan forward. And uh, normally in that situation, what happens is that uh, the puck has to touch the ice before it touches any player that is vying for possession on that faceoff. Uh, and that didn't happen. It went right off uh, the Western Michigan centerman's hand, right into the slot of Western Michigan. The defenseman kind of coughed the puck up because he's pretty much startled by that puck coming into the slot. And then uh, Duluth hammering home that slap, that booming slap shot that came out into the slot for the game winner. Uh, that was a tough, tough way to see Western Michigan season end like that. I, um, they were a team that was probably as deadly as any uh, in the second half of the NCHC regular season. Uh, and that's just a play that unfortunately might incur a rule change for this league because it's a non-reviewable play, unfortunately, and it should have been blown dead. Uh, you know, and also for the Huskies, uh, you look, if Western Michigan would have won that game, actually North Dakota would have gotten Western and we would have had uh, Denver coming up on Monday as well. So a lot of implications in that, but um, only one upset, quote unquote, if you will. And it was the number five seed over the number four seed uh, in Denver over Omaha. So Nick, what does this Huskies team have to look forward to on Monday? It's the Huskies against Duluth, their seventh meeting of the season on an NHL size sheet, mind you. And then it's also North Dakota against Denver to see who will be in that championship game on Tuesday. Uh, Nick, uh, what what is the game plan for the Huskies? Do they change anything? Uh, should they expect something a little bit different? Uh, what is going through Brett Larson and the minds of those uh, 20 or some players in that locker room? Well, I think the number one thing that's going through their heads is, you know, what's the status of their freshman start of that team, the Etnan? Um, that's something I think we have to touch on a little bit here, too. That knee-on-knee hit with uh, Berzola there at the blue line, which I don't think uh, – I don't really think it was malicious intent, but certainly not, you know, great form, if you want to call it. Um, but, yeah, he went down hard. He, he It did not look good. Um, there were reports that said that he was out there for the post-game handshake or the celebration. I didn't quite see him there. Yeah, I heard, um, I heard that as I heard that as well. So, but I didn't, again, um, I can't confirm that. Right. Um, at the end of it, I don't really look too much into that. 
Um, does, he, does that mean he's ready to play? We don't know yet. So I, I think that's number one. Uh, but do you change anything? No, absolutely not. You know, that's one thing that for playoff hockey, you know, is that you got to where you are because of the way you played, right? So why would you change it? The big thing is just making sure you're executing, right? Uh, Duluth, as we mentioned before, you know, it was a tale of two different games going into the NCHE tournament where uh, St. Cloud looked very discombobulated, very disorganized. Uh, up in Duluth, uh, had a good response game back at home. Um, they need to look like they did the first 20 minutes. Um, of, again, that first period we talked about was some of the best hockey we've seen them play all season was that first 20. Um, and I think St. Cloud just has to come out, jump out. Now, if Vetti is ready to play, we hope he is. We're not sure. Um, you know, you don't see, you know, obviously any changes in the lineup. And if he is unavailable, like to you, I'd be curious to see who Brett Larson slots in in his spot, before we, you know, how he tinkers some of his lines. I think you could obviously move Brzezinski up and down the lineup a little bit. I think Jared Cockrell uh, is a guy that we've seen up and down a little bit as well. Uh, but more importantly, uh, that doesn't change how you play the game. So you, you go in, you, you know, again, you get the puck behind the D, you, you get to work, uh, and then, again, you just you pepper, pepper their goaltender. I think, uh, you know, we saw that when you – uh, the Huskies have gotten traffic in front of the net that good things really happen, especially in the playoffs. It's about these kind of greasy goals, right? No, you're not going to get these pretty tech-tack-toe plays. Uh, those just don't happen in playoff hockey. So you try to get pucks through. You just make smart decisions. Puck management's always important. But more importantly, again, you know, the best defense is having the puck in the offensive zone. If the Huskies can continue to do that like they did against CC, uh, they'll have some better bounces their way. And I think that's what they got to do. Yeah, it's kind of difficult to actually evaluate the defensive side uh, against that game uh, for Colorado College there because the Huskies really weren't in their own zone a whole lot. I will say I thought the one penalty kill in the third period, I thought the Huskies looked a little bit sloppy there. So I think, uh, you know, but that <laughs> it comes with the territory of not being in your own zone for a long time. So a little, a couple of little things to clean up uh, as always for St. Cloud State. Uh, a guy that I wouldn't be surprised to see maybe move up and down the lineup as well, uh, Kyler Kupka potentially. And then I, uh, um, we kind of discussed this a little bit uh, as some of the fans did about who they thought might slot in in case Vietti is not ready to play. Uh, I guess my first pick is probably Joey Molinar, it, it, you know, is a guy that would probably slot into that spot there. Uh, but the biggest loss should Vietti not play is actually probably on that power play unit. Obviously we saw kind of a similar thing when Sam Hanches was out. Uh, when you have a power play that's clicking and creating opportunities, uh, losing a body can sometimes throw a lot of things into flux. So, um, David Rennick is the guy He's going to be the guy on Monday. I don't think there's any question about that one. Now that that goal from center ice does not change anything for anyone who is curious or, or shouldn't, if I, I would wager, um, moving over to, uh, what would be probably the night game I would say uh, on that Monday. Um, I'm not particularly sure, but I would anticipate potentially that that would be the night game between North Dakota and Denver. Uh, Nick, do you think Denver has a realistic chance of knocking off the number one team in the NCHC? Well, again, we talk about this and it sounds cliche, but any team can be anybody in this league on any given night. And again, as you mentioned, Denver uh, coming in as the fifth seed, if they're, uh, uh, you could say low in terms of the uh, pairwise, you could say that maybe the national picture. So there's motivation there. And let's not forget, you know, one of their better young head coaches in all of college hockey, David Carl, he's a hell of a coach. And there's no question that Denver is going to push hard. The thing that uh, is going to come back to bite Denver a little bit is, you know, they've been struggling on offense a little bit this season, uh, which is a little bit surprising. Uh, and just North Dakota, again, you know, you hate to give them props, so you have to. I mean, that team is just deep up and down the lineup from forwards to D to their goaltender when they're clicking and, uh, you know, 
say what you want, but you know, they're playing essentially in their home building. You know, it's, it's a very familiar ring to them. They're comfortable there uh, for Denver. They're definitely going to put up a fight. Uh, so you never know, right? We've seen crazier things happen. Just ask Huskies fans, right? We talked about AIC, right? So uh, do they have a chance? Yeah. I mean, if, if I'm Denver sitting in the locker room, uh, you, you, you kind of got away again from a very tough Nebraska Omaha team. They're a very different style team, you know, per se, they're more of that heavy body type team. And now you're going up against a more skilled and talented and more, or, you know, puck possession team in North Dakota. Um, I think it's a better matchup for Denver in terms of the styles that they play, but it's going to be a tough test. But again, you know, never say never to anybody in this league. And, uh, you know, you just have to earn every inch of ice. So if I'm Denver sitting in the locker room, yeah, I have a chance. You know, we, we extended our season and uh, why not? You know, we're going to take it by the horns to see what we can do because at the end of the day, Denver's got a good track record in the playoffs. You know, they're a very successful team when they go into these types of situations and don't no question they'll be ready to play. Yeah, St. Cloud State has a really tough uphill battle against a team they've seen six other times this season. I, it's going to be an absolute war, I think, on the Husky side there. Uh, and as you mentioned, I would love to see North Dakota lose on their home ice. They do obviously have home ice, quote unquote, if you will, home state ice in Fargo and that regional potentially uh, as far as we anticipate uh, coming up. Uh, the selection committee will actually be coming up a week from today. And we're going to touch on a little bit more about that and what that means for our show and uh, potentially who's going to be coming in once again to talk a little bit about that uh, process. But Nick, St. Cloud State, the question mark was a couple weeks ago, has this group done enough to earn an NCAA tournament bid? My answer uh, now with the two wins against Duluth and the regular season and the win in the first round that they were supposed to take care of, uh, at least on paper in the first round of the NCAA playoffs, my vote is yes. I think the St. Cloud State team has solidified themselves as an NCAA tournament team. Uh, North Dakota, no doubt, is going to be in there. Um, Minnesota Duluth, I would say, is relatively safe. I think a win for them on Monday would really kind of put the nail in the coffin, but I think they're safe. Uh, the question mark here uh, is Nebraska-Omaha now losing in their first-round game in a game that was probably pretty important for them, I would say, to, again, continue to try to build that case uh, as a team that should be in the field of 16. Dave Starman alluded on uh, his first night that he thought UNO was kind of that bubble team, depending on how like the WCHA does or kind of how some of those conference tournaments go. Uh, where do you see this Nebraska Omaha team? Uh, one, do you think that they'll make the tournament? And number two, do you think they deserve to be in the tournament? And I know that's kind of, it sounds like a loaded question, but they are two separate things. There's one group that says, yes, they're going to make the tournament regardless. But the number two thing is, do you think that their play has allowed them to be in that conversation as a team that could be safe as uh, a non-conference winner and an auto bid entering that tournament? Well, I'll answer the second question first. Do I think they deserve to be there? I actually think they do. I think they played actually a really, really good season. They play um, incredibly well with the style that they have. Uh, Mike Gabinet, um, to me down there, has been, uh, you know, could have been, you know, candidate for coach of the year. Should honestly, have been. had they Should have been. been honestly, um, you know, not taking away anything from Brad Berry. No question. He's a hell of a hockey coach, too. But you know, just look at the difference in talent on both those squads, you know, for, for Mike Gabonet to have those guys buy in and play to make them successful. I mean, I, I think honestly, had they finished even third or second in the conference, I think that would have been a no brainer to me. Uh, 
the question is to so the first question is, you know, will they be in the selection? Uh, now that they have lost, like any of you said in the first round, that actually changes, I think, the conversation for them a little bit. Um, you know, and it's going to be tough. And we're going to touch on this. And I think our next topic is, you know, especially this season, it's, it's definitely a unique situation to how the selection committee is going to be picking the 16 teams going into the NCAA playoff field. And, you know, as you mentioned, you know, I think St. Cloud uh, with those two victories against UMD and uh, no question with the first round, uh, you know, uh, knockoff of the, uh, the Tigers, I think they have uh, pretty much penciled themselves in. I think they have done enough regardless of what happens uh, here on, on Monday. Um, no question uh, Duluth, I think is going to be there, obviously North Dakota, but now you get into the, question of UNO, it's going to be tough. I mean, it's, it's going to be hard to count out teams like uh, Mankato, for example, uh, uh, obviously a couple of teams out East. So they're to me, a bubble team. Do I think they deserve to be there? I think they do because I hate, I hate to say this is where having a really good conference is going to be probably the one thing that might hurt UNO. I mean, again, if you take a team like Nebraska Omaha, you put him in the WCHA, you put him in the big 10, I think their record is better. And I think that they would actually, you know, stand out more and have a, you know, a better shot there. But again, with the way that this season and this tournament is going to go, I just don't, I don't know. I don't necessarily think they're safe. And I think they might be a snub if I'm, my instincts are going that way. And it, it would be very terrible for UNO because I think they played a really, really good season. But to me, that loss uh, does bring into question of, you know, them being that bubble team to make the final 16. Yeah. I, I think if I, if I had to maybe look at the field a little bit here, I would probably put them in that number 14 or maybe number 15 spot in the country. And people say, well, the top 16 made the tournament. Well, you have to realize if you have an upset in one of these tournaments, or you have a team that wasn't slated in that top 16, as far as the committee is concerned, that does win their conference tournament, they are an auto bid, you know, and similar that number 16 spot is probably going to be filled by, you know, AIC army, something like that, you know, whoever wins that conference tournament uh, in Atlantic hockey. So, um, yeah, they, they're kind of at the mercy. I think a little bit They're um, I don't want to say they need a little bit of help, but a little help would not hurt, UNO to try to make the tournament, if that makes sense. Uh, you know, and when, when you look at St. Cloud State, uh, the question mark for St. Cloud, I think, is uh, where are they going to end up based on this uh, this year of COVID? Uh, and, and you mentioned a little bit about uh, kind of having a strong conference might hurt UNO. The other thing that hurts UNO is the fact that we didn't have interconference play at all, minus Arizona jumping into the Big Ten schedule as an independent um, because you don't have that comparison that normally might help you out a little bit more in those pairwise rankings. But if you're St. Cloud, I mean, you're potentially going to be in that regional with North Dakota uh, in Fargo, and you might get a team like Duluth that might end up in that regional as well, potentially. You don't know. You might get Mankato that's going to be in there. Uh, that's going to be a very, very difficult field to get out of. I know that's looking a little bit, little bit ahead here, but someone who is going to come in and help us dissect that, Nick. Uh, the selection day, like you mentioned, is a week from today, March 21st at 7 o'clock. And then that next day on Monday night, uh, Dave Starman is coming back for round number two, and he's going to talk to us a little bit about uh, what he thinks about the selections who that will have taken place by that particular time. So a uh, very interesting conversation to uh, kind of go, go through on that one. Nick, do we have any other men's hockey things that you would like to discuss a little bit? Uh, anything that you feel is pressing? Uh, I don't think so. I think we need, I think we can move on to the women's I know, which has uh, yep. storylines there for sure. Yeah. Uh, definite storyline, not really involving St. Cloud state women's hockey. Although if you're listening to this on Sunday or Monday, we did have head coach of the women's hockey team for St. Cloud state, Steve McDonald 
on for episode number 53 that came out on that will come out or has come out on Tuesday, depending on when in the week you are listening to the show. And he was a lot of fun and uh, um, a little more candid than he normally is. But I, the, the WCHA does have another team in the Golden Gophers down at the University of Minnesota. I And here's kind of the, the best way I can describe this. The, the committee that was made up for the selection committee was largely essentially from the East. Uh, and the second thing is the only committee member from the WCHA, if I'm not mistaken, was actually from Duluth, which uh, was the team that punched their ticket uh, in as well as Ohio State and Wisconsin. Uh, the kind of uproar was essentially that, like we mentioned in the, the weekly roundup, that the Gophers had the same number of wins as both Duluth and Ohio State. They arguably probably had the toughest schedule in the country, if not one of them, uh, and, and that they simply had uh, more of the pedigree and more of the criteria to enter that tournament than maybe Providence or Robert Morris or, you know, a team that was kind of in that back end, but specifically Providence because of the, the lack of auto bids. But I, Nick, I, there's, there's a couple of arguments that say that Duluth should have been out over Minnesota because of WCHA RPI. Uh, Let's start there. Maybe did the golden Gophers have a case to make the tournament over another team in the WCHA uh, my personal answer, I thought Duluth had a great season. I thought the Bulldogs deserved to be in that tournament, but some people say otherwise. This is where, you know, whatever answer that you and I give, I mean, it's, it's not a perfect answer, right? Um, yeah. at, 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 at none of ours of it, are. Ever. None of it, you know, <laughs> well, right. Uh, but this is where a unique season and unique selection type committee. And, you know, we touched on this with Steve as well as this is the exact same conversation we're going to have on the men's side. It, it's inevitable that someone that's going to feel like they should have been in the tournament and is not going to get the bid. And this is where that, you know, subjectivity comes into play. Does the Gophers have a case? Absolutely. They do. There wouldn't be any up where if they didn't. Right. The question is, you know, how do you pick three teams between Ohio state, the Bulldogs and the Gophers, which one do you take to go? I mean, what what is that conversation like? Obviously, we weren't in you know inside that boardroom, and thankfully, I, we weren't. Honestly, that's not yes. a decision. I don't think anybody wants to be in to have to decide between three. I think all deserving a spot to be there, but we can only take one of them. You know what was the uh, you know the turning point? You know what was the you know the edge to say the you know Duluth over the Gophers? I don't know. Um, at the end of it, the only thing that I really can say is, do the Gophers have a right to be upset? Absolutely, they do. You know, there, there's nothing that takes that away. But, you know, you also can't say that UMD didn't deserve to be there because they absolutely did as well. Um, so you can have it both ways in this situation. I think both are appropriate. Um, the question is going to be, you know, moving forward is, and, and hopefully this is the case, Noah, that this was, you know, the, a COVID type season. And you kind of have to just mark it down and move on with it. And hopefully that this is not the situation we are in a year from now. And that hopefully with the return of hopefully some uh, interconference play, you could say, and, you know, a little bit more of a normal schedule that we won't have to have these, you know, subjective, you know, sort of selection committees, you could say, as they have been for both the men's and the women's side this year. It, it's it's tough. But even in normal years, no, we see teams that gets, you know, quote unquote snubs. So this happens. And uh, just because it happens to be the Gophers, I think it's a little bit more of an uproar because they are a perennial powerhouse. Again, they have the Nimbic ignition. They have national titles to their belt. But uh, at the end of it, you know, uh, what's uh, 
Adam Sandler's famous uh, quote from SNL when he did um, Opera Man was gave someone else a freaking chance. Oh, uh, that's essentially what uh, is happening this year is, you know, the Gophers, uh, they'll be watching a home and somebody else will have a chance to win the tournament. And at the end of it, you know, you can blame the selection committee, but at the end of the day, you take the Gophers, right? If you win one more game, then the others are not having this conversation they're in and somebody else's out. Yeah, uh, when you mentioned Adam Sandler, all I kept thinking of was the Happy Hanukkah song. So I, my mind was going <laughs> a, a little bit different direction than I probably should have. But I, as you mentioned, uh, it, it's kind of a year where you, uh, again, uh, potentially chalk it up to COVID. And um, I was talking to my dad, who you know went to the University of Minnesota, has grown up, uh, you know, has been a Gophers fan pretty much all his life. And he said, yeah, they might have gotten snubbed, but it's uh, of any year for the Gophers to miss the tournament for the first time since 2007. Uh, maybe this is kind of the year to let somebody else in. And also... Uh, uh, what a motivating factor if you're Minnesota, knowing that you can't go, what did they go, like three, seven, and one down the stretch in their last 11 games? Granted, their schedule was very difficult facing Wisconsin a bunch of times, but nonetheless, uh, you got to take care of business there. As you mentioned, one more win, uh, it's it's a lot similar to in normal years, uh, you know, teams that play very, very well, you know, in the Big Ten, but then they lose to a team like St. Lawrence, who is 54th in the country, and all of a sudden it really hurts their stock as far as the pairwise or the rankings is concerned. So, um, yeah. I think the big thing that I would like to take away here and not to um, not to kind of rally around Duluth a little bit because I'm still really torqued that they won that game against Western Michigan. But uh, on the women's side, uh, you have to give credit where credit is due. We talked about it uh, kind of from the beginning of the season that this Duluth team could be a team that could make a run in the national tournament. And there's no doubt in my mind that they're still in that position. I believe they're going to face uh, Colgate. Uh, they're going to be the number five seed facing number four Colgate in that tournament there. Uh, and this is a Duluth team that deserves to be in the tournament. They played very, very well. They've earned that spot. Uh, and, and, and I don't see, I don't really understand, I guess, the uproar of where Duluth fits into the mix. Uh, I know that the head-to-head -head meetings have gone in the Gophers' favor, so maybe that's the only thing that you know you can kind of throw at and why they're not throwing uh, Ohio State in the number three spot into that mix. But nonetheless, uh, this Duluth team has earned that opportunity, and I don't think anyone should take that away from them. Similar to how a lot of people are saying that Minnesota should be in instead of Providence. Yeah, maybe you're right, maybe you're wrong. Providence still had a very good season out East and Providence has earned that opportunity as well. And it should be a really exciting tournament and it's going to be done uh, this upcoming Saturday, by the end of this week, by the time we hit our next show, we're going to know who the women's uh, division one ice hockey champion is in the NCAA. So that's uh, really exciting. What do you got for us? And, well, and just, you know, finish it up, you know, making the tournament 14 straight seasons, that's no, yeah. you know, not easy feat. So at, at the end of it, you know, Going back to was it Detroit was a 26 or 27 straight 25 of making the playoffs 25. 25. <laughs> I always go I always go one or two over that but either way you know it's tough to see that streak end you know but it doesn't take anything away what the Gophers are who they are they're still a really good hockey team it's just unfortunate with just the way things have kind of folded you know it just was not in their favor this year but again as you mentioned you kind of you chalk it up you know you you take what you know as you know as a player that you are you know still a good hockey team and you just have to go up and prove it again next season. Yeah, um, kind of an interesting show here. It feels like we have a lot to talk about, but not a lot to talk about. Uh, everything is in a very compact time frame. So let's move over to the Minnesota Wild, a team that uh, I, it seems like we kind of jump around in weeks. Some weeks they're red hot and some weeks they're red not, if you will. Um, but <laughs> this, wow, look at look at me tie some words together this morning, Nick. Um, I think between, sure. you, think between you and I, the, uh, um, the addition of, uh, the lost hour, if you will, in terms of uh, the clocks turning forward uh, was not a welcome change for either of us. But uh, 
The Minnesota Wild led by Kirill Kaprizov with his first ever uh, professional hat trick against Arizona the other night. But I think it goes beyond that. The fact that they played, uh, you know, Vegas two times uh, and then Arizona earning two shutouts in that stretch and the game that did not end in a shutout. Little hairy at the end in a four to three victory there. But uh, Minnesota came out in a one one game and tallied three goals in the first about 11 or 12 minutes in that hockey game to take a commanding four to one lead against a team that arguably is probably at least a second round contender in, in the playoffs uh, this year. Um, what have you liked about this Minnesota group? And I, I, I'd really like for you to uh, probably touch on a little bit about how I don't think besides Kirill Kaprizov, the Wild maybe don't have a whole lot of superstars, but for some reason it just seems like going back to 2014 where their depth is finally starting to pay dividends and you're not relying on, you know, one or two 20 goal scorers to kind of carry the mail for you. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's no question Kirill Kaprizov is worth the price of admission by himself uh, to watch this kid skate, to watch him blast a absolute one-time bomb for the hat trick after uh, Jonas Brodin uh, kind of did the bank shot off the glass in the empty net um, tells you this kid wants to score. And the best part about it is too, you know what he did after he did the hat trick, he just went right back to the faceoff down. He wasn't celebrating. It was a four nothing game. He didn't, you know, sort of chalk it up. He wasn't trying to stir the pot. Uh, yeah. He got his hat trick, which is great, but he didn't kind of rub it in the opponent, which I think is, you know, as, uh, kind of actually astute to his character, honestly. Yeah. Um, uh, a guy that I played hockey with, Ryan Stoll, former captain of the Gophers, uh, was his roommate actually over in Russia. Those two play together. And one thing Ryan has always said was, this kid is super talented, but he's got a, he's very level-headed. Like, he's not a guy that pumps his own tires or walks around with, you know, hat, you know air in his head. He's not that type of player. Um, he just goes out and he performs, and, you know, that's just it. He, he's not looking for the recognition. He just wants to win. And um, as, you, uh, as you mentioned, Noah, there's no question that, the depth on this team is what's making this role. First of all, uh, the resurrection of Victor Rask. If you're Victor Rask and you're spending pretty much all of last season, that's a healthy scratch. And now you're getting an opportunity on some nights actually be, you know, the center between Kaprizov and Matt Zuccarello. As, and a, top, was, as a top six forward. As a night. top six yeah. forward. Uh, how about that for a change of fortune too i think you know you and i touched on it you know what the wild buyout victor rask and you know we talked about i think if COVID didn't happen i think that was a very likely scenario because the salary cap would have allowed you know, sort of that hit to take place so because of COVID, you know you don't have the salary cap going up so you know every cap dollar is important and with victor rask you know he's getting given an opportunity he's one with it uh it's it's been incredible yeah he, he still has his flaws like every player does uh, but it's amazing what he has been able to accomplish uh, with those two uh, by his side. Let's not take away the performances of, I think, the most improved player on this roster, Jules Erickson Eck. I mean, what a two-way center he's blossomed out to be. We knew, especially last season, Noah, that the defensive grittiness of his game was really starting to make waves in the National Hockey League. And the one thing that we, we know was, you know, if he could add some more consistent offensive production that man this guy is gonna kind of come out from the, sort of the dungeons a little bit right i mean he was a high pick of you know i wouldn't say he was a bust conversation but it's more of you know was he you know was he a first round pick i don't know but now i think he's starting to prove that yeah he is a really damn good hockey player uh jordan greenway looked really good and how about the moose marcus folino oh, man what a you know contributions he's made you know he got what a five or six game point streak there going for a little bit marcus yeah. folino 
Um, you know, th this team is rolling at least three solid lines. You can almost argue four. Uh, the defensive core has looked really, really good. Carson Soucy uh, in and out with Brad Hunt. I, I don't think that's bad, but Ian Cole, I think that trade uh, with Colorado to, uh, to give away Greg Pattern there, I think that has worked wonders to solidify that third pairing for the mm -hmm. Wild. And uh, let's not talk about, uh, let's not forget, I should say, Koppel Kakinen, an eight-game winning streak as a rookie. And, um, I, you know, He's almost in the conversation kind of under the radar. No, I think he should be as, is he a Calder candidate? I think he, I think you have to put him in that conversation with the numbers he's wow. had. Uh, wow. is, he, is he likely the, to, is he likely to say, win that conversation? There, there's, no. there's only one problem is that the other person that's up for the Calder happens to be on his same team. <laughs> Right, exactly. Um, I think honestly, if you're to add, if you're gonna get, if you're, I'm gonna pick three people to be Calder finalists, it'd be Kaprizov, it would be Kakinen, and I think it'd be the Ottawa super stud Tim Stutzla, who has actually looked really, really good there for the Ottawa Senators. I think it comes down to those three players specifically, and it's very difficult for uh, I think a goaltender to win that argument. Yeah, I think if he wins, you know, the next ten games in a row, maybe you know you might slide him an edge, but it's hard to take away um, the fact that the Wild have usually have zero players in the conversation for the Calder. Now Mike said only have two in one season it's pretty remarkable and this team is really really fun to watch right now yeah and if i'm not mistaken that eight uh eight wins in a row for kakinen is actually now a franchise record for rookie goaltenders uh he was tied at number seven and now it is a franchise record at number eight if i'm not mistaken but um you're correct because it was josh hardy and i believe it was the last goaltender at seven that was back in 2009 actually i think Josh Harding, Harding, there's a yeah. throwback, a southpaw, and a guy that uh, has had his struggle with multiple sclerosis as well. Um, I, I believe a Minnesota native, if I'm not mistaken, as well, right? No. No. No, not a Minnesota native, but he is. He is in Minnesota. Last I heard, he was uh, helping to coach youth hockey, I think, in the St. Louis Park organization. Um, but I know he's coaching uh, youth hockey here in Minnesota. Yeah, um, I, I kind of want to go back on a couple things. Uh, number one, Victor Rask. Uh, here's the thing. He's been playing well. Hopefully he continues that, and that gives the Wild options. Do they feel in the future they're going to have enough center depth? That means they could offload him and potentially get a team that is willing to take uh, that trade, or you keep him because he continues to perform well. So I think Victor Rask has given the Wild and himself a lot of options on that end. Matt Zuccarello can't say enough about him and continuing his growth. I, again, I still don't think he had a bad season last year. I think he was just so under the radar with how poorly the team performed. But uh, um, this one, I'm glad you mentioned Ian Cole because I had a very, uh, very fun discussion with our pal Derek Felska last week. Uh, fun to hear what he's been up to uh, in the video game world. But uh, uh, he's not enamored with uh, Ian Cole. I don't think the Wild lost that trade by any means. I think Ian Cole is an upgrade from Craig nope. Patern. But uh, he's not enamored with Ian Cole's play, Nick. So I kind of want to listen. Uh, what what gives Ian Cole the the edge as being a valuable contribution to this Minnesota Wild team? I guess if Derek was sitting here, what would you say to Derek to counter argument that point a little bit? And we love uh, you, Derek. First of all, <laughs> love you, Derek. But let's watch tape between Greg Patteron and Ian Cole. Uh, Patteron, to me, are they similar players? They're both defensive defensemen. To me, Ian Cole, he's got two Stanley Cup rings, one. Uh, you don't get that for no reason, right? Uh, Ian Cole, to me, is a better skater. To me, he's got better IQ. To me, he makes smarter puck management decisions, especially in his own end. I think Greg Patteron oftentimes uh, was uh, kind of a, a little bit of a, we could call it, had the uh, kind of the tickle 
you know, you could call it in his body where, you know, he just, he would, he would panic essentially, you know, he had a lot of panic in his game. I don't think Ian Cole has that same kind of uh, panic. I think he's calm. He's got ice in his veins. And to me, he's a better defenseman in that spot. And again, with his experience, especially uh, logging deep playoff runs, I mean, that's huge. Um, you know, you can flip in Carson Soucy, you can flip in Brad Hunt if one of them isn't playing, but Ian Cole to me has been this, you know, part of the reason why that defensive core has been so good. Uh, Greg Pattern, I know that, He's been, he was injured a lot over the last 14 months or so, but when he was in the lineup to me, uh, to me, I, I always kind of got a little nervous with when the puck was on his stick. Uh, and at the end of the two, the other option that Ian Cole brings is that, you know, he does pick a spot and it's not very often, but he, I think he's got a better shot. I think he does control in the offensive zone a little bit better in terms of, you know, the, the smarter decisions, whether it's to rim the puck down, do a purposely off target shot to at least get the puck through direct pattern to me. Sometimes I get a little lost. I know he liked to carry the puck in the zone and then we get caught below the opposing goal line and then end up having um, odd man rushes the other way. So again, it's, it's not a substantial, you know, piece that they're better, but to me, Ian Cole, what he does bring does to me, he is the better defenseman over Greg Pattern. Yeah. And uh, that's what I told Derek in a very strongly worded DM on Twitter. No, uh, but that, that was kind of my slimmer point too, was that uh, yeah, he's not going to shock the world, but sitting in as that number five guy pretty much in the lineup and on the first guy in the third pairing, if you will, uh, he does his job and does his role well. And uh, you know, he's a guy that I think, uh, you know, Brad Hunt, I love Brad Hunt. I wish he was in the lineup more. I think his offensive ability for being a bottom two pairing guy, uh, especially his special teams ability kind of adds to that. But as far as if you're looking for the prototypical, reliable third pairing defenseman, I love Carson Soucy too, but Carson Soucy, he's young and he's got some of those uh, flaws in his game. I think that continue to need to be worked out. And that's why you're seeing him in and out of the lineup. Uh, Ian Cole is kind of that mainstay, uh, that guy that you know that, you're probably going to get on that third pairing and probably is going to log a lot of heavy defensive minutes and a lot of penalty kill minutes for you as well. So I'm glad that we kind of talked about that. Uh, Marcus Foligno, uh, let's not just discount, you know, obviously you've got all the offensive upside and how well he's been playing, but his defensive statistics as well in that uh, players that can play a 200 foot game. Uh, I believe if they said like, um, some of the crazy stats, it was like goals for expected per 60 was like point like Oh three or something like that. I don't know my stats that deeply, but they mentioned essentially that he essentially was, he was like plus three or plus five over that stretch, but he wasn't, uh, he wasn't giving up like any high danger opportunities within like the last three games or something like that, you know, and for a guy that, you know, you kind of have him pegged a little bit as a bottom six guy. Uh, we talked about it so much, your guys uh, on the Huskies team, you know, your Will Hammers, your Jared Cockrells, guys like that. The big thing is if their plus minus can stay even or better because they're at least giving their, their, you know, more prominent scorers a chance to kind of add to that plus column and add to that lead because the bottom lines are not getting scored on. Um, and for Huskies Warming House podcast fans right now, I'm trying to bide my time here as Nick Maxson finds the, the statistics that we're looking for here. But um, I mean, you just got to love the fact that as well, when you look at Marcus Foligno, there's a guy that Nick, you alluded a little bit to uh, actually kind of in the preseason or when the discussion of captaincy was coming up. Uh, here's a guy that legitimately probably could have worn the C on his chest for this Minnesota wild team. The, the, the value that he brings in this locker room, the way he leads by example, not a guy that's afraid to, you know, throw his fists around, throw his weight around. Uh, you know, he, he's a guy that when you talk about Gordy Howe hat tricks, that's the way he plays every night. He's just a guy that's in your face and just uh, offensively or defensively is going to make a very, very difficult night for this group. So, um, or for the group you're playing against, I should say. So Marcus Foligno is a guy that 
I think what a steal for the Minnesota Wild. You know, I think when he first came in, people kind of said, oh, well, we don't really know what we're going to get from him. You know, he hasn't had the most productive years, uh, I believe, in Buffalo. And um, he, I think he's proven all the doubters wrong and uh, not a bad looking guy either, Nick. So got a couple of kids and stuff. So uh, I know that I don't know if that's weird to say, but he's a good looking dude for a guy that's been punched in the face quite a bit in his initial career. I'll give him that. But uh, um, yeah, the, Minis- the this group for the Minnesota Wild, uh I would say this is the first time in a long time that the future and the pipeline has looked bright. If the, if the young guys can continue to impress the way that they have for this Minnesota wild group, and then you got guys like Matt Boldy, Marco Rossi, Kalen Addison, uh, as our pal Derek has alluded to has been phenomenal in Iowa, getting a lot of playing time down there uh, and getting some reps in there. So you've got to like what's coming through the pipeline for this Minnesota wild group. And I can't think of another time to be totally honest with you that we could say that this Minnesota wild team, has looked good towards the future. Um, one guy that I would like to touch on as well, Nick, um, as we kind of go through this here, uh, and that's on the other side. That is Zach Parisi, an aging forward for the Minnesota Wild who has a couple years left on his contract. Uh, and Dean Evison hasn't been afraid sitting him for the last 14 minutes of uh, the last contest, sitting him the week prior actually out of the lineup in that. Uh, Gee, do you think that Zach Parisi at some point here asks out of Minnesota if this trend continues? Do you think, I don't want to say, do you think that that's Dean Evison's plan, but do you think that Dean Evison is kind of saying, you know what, hey man, you're playing like an old man and you're not going to earn that ice time. And if you don't want to be in this state, uh, you know, with your play, so be it, we'll find a spot for you. But I don't know this potentially, I guess maybe in my personal opinion might be the last year that we see Zach Parisian in Minnesota wild uniform. Do you think that's a fair argument or do you think I'm even more insane than usual in the middle of March? You are insane actually. Um, and here's why I say that at a normal, well, because here's the problem. How do you move his contract? That's, that's really the, what's, that's the big problem is again, you talk about you know, teams and the salary cap issues. We talked about that before, but it's just very, very difficult, honestly, to move his contract right now. And, and I don't think Zach is going anywhere, honestly. Um, it, it's weird to say that, but I'm just pulling up a, a couple of things here from uh, Cap, our friends at Cap Friendly, just because I kind of want to get an idea of where everybody's um, uh, salary cap hits are to who could, you know, move, you know, a guy like this. So let's, now that we got it up here. So let's take a look. Projected cap space and current cap space you know, there's what one, two, there's maybe about 10 teams that are um, over $3 million in cap space. Um, at the end of it, it's going to be, have to be a player for player type trade. Um, and at the end of it, Dean Evison has said it before um, that in his time in Milwaukee, especially again, you know, he was actually Kevin Fiala's coach in, in Milwaukee as the, uh, you know, minor league affiliate of Nashville is that he holds his players accountable. And, and what I like is that he doesn't care who you are at the end of it, Zach Parisi, you could say what you want, but uh, you know, he's just getting older. Honestly, I, I don't think that um, it's anything necessarily personal with him. Um, it doesn't bug him. Sure. He's a competitor, right? If I'm, you know, an NHL veteran and I think I'm doing the right things or I think, you know, I'm playing well and I'm getting, that's going to bug me. Right. Do I think it's going to force his hand out of Minnesota? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, but at the end of it, I think we're in a different spot than we were even 12 months ago. Um, I think that the calls for his trade were much better at that point. But now if I'm Zach, you know, this team is second in the Honda West division. 
Um, they're four points away from Vegas and, and this team, the way that they're playing, the way that they're trending. I don't know if I want off of this team because I think that they could actually make, they could be a dark horse team in the playoffs coming up here this season. And, and certainly for, you know, for the next couple of seasons, but to me, uh, no, uh, Dean Everson is, is sticking to his guns. He, he, he wants to make sure every player is held accountable. And whether you're like you said, Carson Susi is, you know, still a, a young and a blossoming defenseman, or if you're a, you know, a stout veteran, like Zach Parisi, if you're not doing the things that he wants you to do, you're going to sit on the bench. And, uh, you know, I think that's just the way it should be, honestly. Yeah, uh, it'd be interesting to do a couple things to kind of note there. Um, Bill Guerin would have to get Parisi to waive his no movement clause and probably, like you mentioned, either player for player retain a little bit of salary on our side. Uh, should Zach Parisi be moved? I think the the question mark becomes, I believe, what is it? He's locked up through twenty the spring of 2024, if I'm not mistaken, along with Ryan Suter. So, I mean, that's a that's still a hefty amount. It's whatever it is, four years left after this season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that's a... <laughs> That's a lot of hockey for a guy who's continuing to decline. And, I, uh, you know, it's tough. I think that the Minnesota Wild, the best years they should have gotten out of Zach Parise were, were kind of hampered by a back ailment that he didn't know he had for about three years that was getting steadily worse. So very unfortunate there. But the future is bright here in the state of Minnesota and the state of hockey. Don't forget, Nick, uh, if I'm not mistaken, with my knowledge of Minnesota hockey in the hockey world around the state, I believe we have uh, some high school playoffs that are, I believe are coming up uh, in the not too distant future. Um, you might know, might know a little bit more about that. I guess I haven't taken a, taken a look, but I know that uh, last year, way back in episode, like number five, <laughs> we, we talked a little bit about uh, the Minnesota high school state tournament. Nick, do you happen to know any of those dates or um, you know, who would be the favorites as far as uh, high school hockey is concerned? Yeah, so uh, this weekend coming up starts sectionals. So uh, at the end of it, this is going to be where the regular season kind of comes to an end. And then, you know, you have your section your section playoffs and obviously the, the state high school hockey tournament. I'm actually going to take a look because I believe the format this year is different than in years past, obviously due to COVID. Uh, so let's take a quick look at uh, that here real quick. Thanks for putting me on the spot. No, yeah, always, I always appreciate that. I, I'm in the, I'm in the same spot. I'm kind of thinking, Oh, you know, it's funny because so when we, when we do this show, uh, if you ask me any college hockey things, like where do I find power play percentage for a uh, team over the course of the season, college hockey news is a great statistic for that. You know, if you ask, you know, what's a good stats base for this or where can I find this or where can I do this? I can tell you in a heartbeat when it comes to the, um, the high school hockey leagues in minute league in Minnesota, uh, it, I I'm, I'm kind of like, which, which is the best one that's kind of reliable, um, little ins and outs of the trade, if you will, Nick. So Nick, are, are you still doing good? Do I still need to continue to ramble no, we're here? Good. All right. No, we got it. So, um, the tournament will take place, the state tournament that is uh, March 30th through April 2nd. Um, sorry, April 3rd to be the championship game. Um, as far as the uh, records, we could say, um, let's take a look at some of the teams, uh, that are going to be in those top spots, at least that we see here currently. Let's take a quick peek here. Sorry for the delay. Yeah. So, so, so Nick, Nick, I guess uh, maybe this is probably a good time for you to flex your, uh, your resource muscles, if you will, if people are looking to find out more about uh, maybe the schedule or kind of things going on in the Minnesota hockey world. I know for the tournament rinkwriter.com is great for the actual tournament, but uh, where is kind of some go-to places maybe to go for Minnesota boys, high school hockey. Yep. MSHL. 
um, MSHSL, I should say, .org, which is the Minnesota State High School League uh, official website, where they do have um, everything posted there as far as the scheduling, as far as also the COVID-19 uh, sort of procedural or regulatory stuff there, as well as, you know, some really good tournament stuff there, too. And and speaking of tournament, Noah, I'm actually going to, you know, go off camera here for a second, and if I'm going to actually continue to talk. Oh, boy. Because I actually have, I have this book here, and uh, I have... I have yet to read it. I need to start doing actually this do you, guy right here. Do you know how to so, read? Yet to be yet to be determined, but it's turning <laughs> time. And uh, this actually goes back 75 years. Uh, and it actually gives us a nice little history of the Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament. And even going back to this guy, this is why I pulled this up. So that picture there, for those who don't know, that was the old St. Paul Civic Center. So this is where the Minnesota Moose uh, the IHL team now, obviously the Manitoba Moose, the AHL affiliate of the Winnipeg Jets. Uh, this is where uh, they played and where a lot of this is where now the Excel Energy Center is. They actually imploded this um, before, to make way for the new Excel Energy Center. Um, but the, the kind of the knock on this is if you take a look very carefully at the boards here, I want you to look very carefully. Those are see through boards. Yep. I'm, I'm not kidding. For those who, I, for those who maybe didn't I, know. I, I know you're not kidding. And the reason I know you're not kidding is because I found family video last week of my dad actually playing there as a kid. So kind of insane. The Probably the best memory I have of that building actually is probably Dave Spihar going off uh, in, in the high school state Dave tournament. Spihar. So... But anyway, yeah, Dave Spihar, uh, what, what, a, what a guy, right? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's just, uh, I'm very curious to see, you know, like I, as far as I've been following the high school hockey world for the first time in a long time, just because of the, the oddness of this season, uh, Nick, I, I suppose, do you kind of know uh, who would be the favorites and kind of maybe how some of these sectionals are going to kind of um, hash out potentially? Yeah, so uh, Maple Grove, as far as class two ways concerned, so Maple Grove is the number one seed. Uh, that's a, a program that's been on the rise the last couple of years. Um, Eden Prairie, then a number two, Lakeville South, uh, runs up the top three. Um, again, some powerhouses like Hill Murray, Grand Rapids, and a number four, St. Thomas Academy. Uh, Andover's up there along with Prior, like Annie Dinah which is normally up there actually number 10 this year. They're at seven, six, and one uh, on the season. That's class two way uh, class one, a again uh, in this tournament, you know, some, some familiar favorites in here, usually like war road uh, is up in that bracket, but now I'm trying to get it to load here. And there we go. So Hermantown uh, just South of Duluth there um, up there at a perfect 14 and 0 gentry Academy, which is a newer school, actually it's an independent hockey school. Now at 12 and 0, they're also unbeaten, but Matamidi little falls, uh, Duluth Denfeld. Uh, so what, not Duluth East, Duluth Dental, which is, I believe, West Duluth, a world in the number six, East Grand Forks, Fergus Falls, Northern Lakes, and then Alexandria run up the top 10 for class 1A. So uh, right now, obviously, Herman Towns in the mix. Modern Media have had some really good state high school hockey experience. Uh, no one Duluth East here in that group, which is kind of interesting. Uh, but then you go back to double A, uh, you know, that's sort of the big schools here, like Horse Eden Prairie um, and uh, Grand Rapids. There are going to be some teams to watch. Uh, and St. Cloud State Commit, which was a, a in a Grand Rapids, uh, Jack Perk, who now was a juniors, uh, uh, that team is, is, is stacked in a heck of a hockey run, two to play there for Grand Rapids. And uh, former uh, uh, playing stomping grounds of Mike and Miller there, uh, yep. the great old tank. So 
Uh, that's where the, the top 10 in both those big divisions stand, at least right now. That's uh, Minnesota Boys Hockey Hub. That's presented by Start Tribune, a local Minneapolis newspaper. So for those looking to maybe get themselves caught up on that, uh, that's where another good resource for folks to get up on some some prep high school hockey. Yeah, I didn't know that back in uh, 2011, 2012, we went to a holiday tournament. Thief River Falls actually played against Neil Pionk in Hermantown. That was kind of in the middle. I think it was their second time, kind of in that run where they, <laughs> they were in six tournament appearances and pretty much got smoked by St. Thomas in that championship game for all those years before finally kind of getting over the hump. So yeah, it's kind of too bad, especially with this year and the year of COVID, the Minnesota state high school hockey tournament. I I can't name a better event as far as hockey is concerned, and especially youth hockey is concerned for the energy in a building and just kind of the, the huzzah that surrounds uh, what is tournament time in the state of Minnesota. So uh, very excited here. Um, I, What's the deal with Apple Valley, though, Nick? How come your hometown's not getting the job done? What's the deal, man? Uh, good question. I'm actually <laughs> trying to figure out where uh, where they sit here because uh, they were used to be in the old Lake Conference. So that was Eden Prairie. That was Edina. It was a gauntlet. Lakeville at that point was just Lakeville. There was no Lakeville North, no Lakeville South. Uh, Lakeville South came into the fall of 2007 as Lakeville continues uh, to expand because they're just a huge absolutely ginormous uh you know city by square mileage i believe they're in the south suburban yes there they are right there so east you sitting at 5 12 and 0 uh unfortunately on the season uh lakeville south on top of that division with rosemount one point back as well as prior lake those teams were in the top 10 as far as double a rankings were concerned with their records and then a very sharp drop off you go shakopee lakeville north burnsville east farmington apple valley and then egan which is not far removed from a, a very deep title one for them as well uh, sitting at 113 and oh so Egan having a tough season down there in the south of the the twin cities there yeah uh speaking of uh north dakota hockey which we know is so riveting and so well known for its high school tournaments uh, of course the two grand forks teams by the way uh grand forks central beat grand forks red river in overtime three to two to capture uh that state championship it's like they're like 800th <laughs> state championship there uh but the reason i mention that is because uh, my high school, which is one of only two class B schools in the state that still has high school hockey in an all class A system, Botno, North Dakota, made the state tournament for the first time since, guess what, my freshman year back in two, the spring of 2012. So uh, they got bounced pretty heavily in the first round. I think the score was eight to one or something like that. But uh, got to give got to get my boys a little bit of props, I would say, for uh, making the tournament for the first time since we did. Uh, the West was not very strong. And as far as North Dakota hockey is concerned or, you know, North Dakota hockey in general, but um, I actually, you know, funny story though, Nick, um, do you happen to know a guy uh, speaking of North Dakota hockey by the name of Alec Rahauser in the college hockey world? Does that name ring a bell to you at all by chance? It rings a bell. It rings a bell, but I can't put the, the name to anything specific. So going back a couple of years to Bowling Green was actually a Hobie Baker nominee. Uh, now with the Florida Panthers in their system, uh, he was actually from North Dakota uh, around the time that I was playing. We had, I think, uh, back in that day, back in the mid 2010s, we had four or five guys that ended up playing division one hockey around that time frame. So uh, North Dakota high school hockey, unfortunately, has kind of dropped off the map a little bit. But uh, that was kind of a, a time period where I think we uh, could kind of contend with the big dogs a little bit going over to Minnesota in those holiday tournaments and contending with some of those some of those better teams in the state of Minnesota. But nonetheless, Minnesota, the perennial powerhouse, uh, as far as youth hockey is concerned, you could argue Michigan and Massachusetts would probably be the other two states that you would throw in there as 
uh, states that have at least some pretty good youth hockey talent. But uh, um, Nick, what do we, is there anything we want to touch on here? Uh, anything else we kind of want to add? Anything you want to, kind of a weird show this morning, just because we're in the middle of tournament time uh, for the NCHC. So we kind of, you know, we don't really have anything to kind of talk about, but next week, like we mentioned, uh, that Sunday uh, will be the selection for the NCAA tournament. We won't have information on that until Dave Starman joins us the following Tuesday, but we will know the results of the NCAC frozen face-off and kind of get you up to speed on that. Uh, don't forget around the league. I mean, you got the Big Ten tournament uh, starting today. Uh, the Golden Gophers uh, back in action against Michigan State. I believe it's Penn State and Notre Dame, I think, that are playing each other, and Wisconsin has that bye there. So, um I mean, lots of hockey for fans to take in and definitely uh, soak it in because it's uh, kind of incredible to think that we still have hockey. One thing I guess I wanted to end with here, Nick, uh, I was thinking about this way back when we were talking about St. Cloud State men's hockey, uh, and we didn't really get to touch on it kind of at the end of the regular season because we were dissecting that uh, overtime victory uh, against Duluth. In the beginning of the season, we both predicted the St. Cloud State men's hockey team to say that if they had a successful year that they were going to finish fourth in the NCHC. So I know it's been an up and down season, kind of giving fans a little bit of a heart attack, but Nick, uh, I, I guess simple question is, did the men's hockey team exceed or overexceed expectations this year? I think they exceeded a little bit. Um, I think we knew coming in that, uh, especially with Betty coming to the fold, that he could be that X factor. And he, he definitely did, right? Uh, 10 goals, 13 assists, 23 points on the season. Um, uh, and CAC Rookie of the Year. We should probably mention that. Uh, so Yes, and CAC Rookie of the Year. I uh, want to thank Rookie of the Month in January, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, and Rookie of the Week a handful of times. Uh, he's been an absolute catalyst. He's a power point, uh, a power play, I should say, specialist. He's quarter of a kind of that quarterback on the number one PP unit. So I uh, hope he's back again tomorrow for the Huskies. We'll try to keep everybody updated. And if we learn of his status uh, before tomorrow's game, I would imagine that St. Cloud's probably going to be probably quiet on that front, at least until probably tomorrow, unless uh, something uh, comes out today, but we'll definitely keep everybody up to speed on that as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, as, as we kind of alluded to, NCHC releasing some of their bigger awards. I believe, I forget the kid's name from Western Michigan. Uh, it was like the scholar athlete of the year. So like a 399 in like biomedical science or something like that, which is uh, which is kind of insane. But uh, as we mentioned, I thought that the coach of the year, uh, again, no no discredit to Brad Berry, but I would say uh, Mike Gabonet or even Andy Murray probably could have been in that conversation as well for the work that they've done, especially Andy Murray in the second half with Western Michigan. But uh, uh, there's only a couple more prizes that really matter here. The championship for the NCHC Frozen Faceoff and a berth to the Frozen Four after the NCAA Regional Tournament as well as a national championship in NCAA Division I college hockey. St. Cloud State men's hockey on the path, hopefully looking for uh, that victory and that entry into the tournament. So, uh, Nick, I don't think we have anything else to kind of mention here. We do have Steve McDonald uh, coming on to recap the women's hockey season and some pretty fun stories uh, here on Tuesday for the Healthy Scratch interview segment for episode number 53. And then we will be back next Sunday to dissect the NCHC playoffs in episode 54. And Dave Starmer will join us to talk about the NCAA tournament selection. Other than that, everyone, you can find us on Twitter at Warming House Den. Have a wonderful week from the Huskies Warming House podcast.